Welcome to Belief Beat, where we talk about things that matter with people who matter. I'm John Horner Eibler, this week's host. I'm really glad you're with us. And we're recording this uh, just before the 4th of July holiday. And it felt like a really good time to take uh, just kind of a side trip into something really biblical, really historic, really artistic, really chemical, uh, really fun. It's, it's a lot of things. And the topic today is wine. W-I-N-E, not the W-H-I-N-E version. And uh, I'm sitting here in the uh, kitchen area of Jay and Ann Hill. Thanks very much to Ann, who's handling our technical production. And Jay's somebody who loves wine, learns about wine, collects it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he's going to share some of his kind of passion and interest and uh, knowledge about wine with us today. And then, due to various long-term sinus issues, I can never, like, really taste anything. So we decided we needed, like, an official taster here, somebody who can kind of comment in detail on what we're, what we're sampling. So thanks very much to Carol Sicey, who's joining us for the extremely difficult task of being the official wine taster. Carol, welcome. Thank you. I think I'm up for the challenge. Are you really? I am glad you are joining us for that. And Jay, right. welcome. Thank you. Good Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks right. for having Good us having in you. your house. So tell me, where does your interest, passion, knowledge about wine, where'd that come from? A lifelong thing? A more recent thing? Yeah, it's been about 20 years, I would say. Um, used to go out to dinner with folks and seemed like some people knew what they were doing when they would get a wine list, and, and I had no idea. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was always, always like the flavor of it, right? But I didn't really understand it. And so I started to dig more into it, started to go to the local uh, wine store and ask questions and try things, and it just kind of grew from there. So read a lot, I've tasted a lot, um, even been to some vineyards in the U.S. and in France, and just seems like a topic where... As much as you learn, there's always something else that you can uncover. Um, I also love it because, for a couple of reasons, right? One is, and I know that not everybody can partake, right, for, for various reasons or folks who just can't or, or don't want to, but yep. for me, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's social. It always brings people together. Um, it's food, and there's a lot of culture involved in it, too. Uh, the w- wines are really rooted in the place that they came from, and so you learn a lot about the place as you're learning about the wines. It's... It's impossible, for example, to go up through Burgundy and, and see all of these amazing uh, high-end vineyards, but also not see that it's farmers with their tractors and they're out, you know, tending to their vineyards. So it's just a really interesting window into different parts of the world. I, I was thinking as you were saying that we, we met one of our sons in uh, southern France one time, and it was really striking how anywhere you went to eat and order they literally wouldn't let us like order what we wanted. They'd they'd kind of tell us what was <laughs> lo- what was local, what they thought would go well with it. But I, and not in a, and it wasn't at all kind of an obnoxious way. It was really they wanted us to have a, a good experience. Of, yeah, yeah. There's and, a lot of thoughtfulness. And clearly knew more than we yeah. did. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of thoughtfulness that goes in it. One of those rules is you know try to pick wines that are from the region where the food is from. Um, it doesn't always hold true and you can get some really interesting combinations if you go off script but that's a good way to do it i'm sure that a lot of those people were like if you're in south of france provence some great wines in provence there's some really interesting food there you generally over centuries they've kind of grown up to be it's very complementary to each other okay so now the other thing though is people who are are listening to this maybe some people are saying well 
wine is just kind of like a snobby thing. And, and uh, people kind of make fun of somebody who doesn't know anything about it. I, you're not that way at all. Uh, tell us a little bit more about how you approach wine uh, as knowing about it, but like not kind of uh, holding that over somebody who doesn't. Yeah, so for, for me, there, there's a huge range, right? It's all about exploring and, and getting to see what's out there and finding those unusual discoveries. Um, there's a huge range in quality, there's a huge range in price, but we're at a time right now where the quality of wine overall has never been better, and the quality worldwide has never been better. Um, there are lower-priced wines that are really fantastic, and some of the fun is to go out and find those. Um, and then there's some experiences in better wines, so-called better wines, that are really also interesting and, and uh, instructive and kind of expand your palate a little bit too. So I, I just kind of look for what's good out there. I'm as much interested in the story behind it and and learning and learning what's in each bottle as I am, you know, looking for the high end. And there are some things that I just I just don't go near because they're too expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, as long as you brought up the the topic of cost, is there a price you won't go? below or a price you won't go over typically yeah so except in rare cases i tried generally not to go below ten dollars because you figure if you put in the packaging the distribution the markup at the retailer all the advertising that goes into that there's not a lot left to actually make the wine um, on the other hand one of the things that we'll try today is a spanish white wine that's thirteen dollars 12.99 at total wine and it's fantastic it's really superb um, I like, really like to look for things in that, oh, let's call it uh 20 to $50 range. There's a tremendous amount of really good quality that tends to not be overpriced in that range too. People are kind of competing a little harder for your dollar. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, I don't go over a hundred dollars. I don't just don't think that my palate is good enough to notice the difference. So it's just not once I did for a very special thing, it was a, part of a trip that Ann and I took to Napa and uh, kind of... Oh, so it did involve Ann. It did, yes. And it was a bit, yes. (laughs) And it was half souvenir and half, uh, you know, half good wine. But I, I, yeah, I generally don't go that high. Well, if you were going to go that high, I'm I'm glad it involved (laughs) a special (laughs) trip with with Ann. Um, uh, Can you you ever have wine out of a box? You know, it's it's getting better. It, it actually is. I was just reading something the other day. So um, the quality of wines in a box has come up quite a bit. There's a couple of advantages, actually. It's easy to store. It's easy to transport. It's really low cost for the packaging. So you're tending to get more wine for your dollar in that. Um, the other thing is, I didn't, and I hadn't realized this, but so wine in a box is actually in a plastic bag or bladder inside the cardboard box. And that actually shrinks as you take the wine out of it. So the, the thing that causes wine to go bad after you've opened it is oxygen. When oxygen gets in there, there's chemical reactions that kind of reduce the flavors to nothing very good. kind of makes it start talk, tasting more like various kinds of cider. So the advantage of the boxed wines is that the bladder shrinks to the size of the uh, volume of the wine that's in there, and you don't have as much oxidation risk. Oh, fascinating. I haven't taken a big plunge that way yet, but... Uh, the quality's getting there to be a are lot some better. things to yeah. well okay same question on people talk about corked versus uh, capped yeah uh, I'm sure there's a, a spectrum of stuff yeah, there yeah. but talk I'm about a, that a little bit so it's still very traditional to have corks in wine 
most all high-end wines are, are cork cork clothed enclosured um a lot of things in the mid-range are you'll find certain areas like australia um has gone very big into screw tops and you'll see it more and more in the u.s oregon santa rosa um the, generally if the um it seems like budget more budget conscious wines are going that way first so i'm sure there's something a cost element to it I actually think screw tops are great, and I wish the whole world would go to screw tops. I think hmm. they'll last as long as any corks. The cork taint that can cause a bottle to go bad doesn't exist with a screw top, and most studies it seems like are showing that it's a better way to go. But tradition is hard tradition. to change. Uh-huh. Yes, and there's a lot of ceremony with opening a corked yeah. bottle. You know, yeah. it's lots of show, and undoing a screw top doesn't quite have the same ceremony to it. Well, one of the things we're going to do as part of this podcast is we're going to take you on kind of a virtual wine tasting. Uh, and that's when Carol will finally get to be a part of this conversation. Um, one waiting, last thing. I'm waiting patiently, John. I, I know you are. <laughs> Let me get through one last preliminary, Carol. Uh, you had talked about, I mean, the purchase of wine. Uh, where, where do you shop for wine? So I used to buy a lot of things right from vineyards. I signed up on what you call what they call allocation lists, and for some wines, that's the best way. There are so there are very few places that only sell through allocation. These days, I don't. Uh, I'm not on any more lists. I'm on mailing lists, but I don't have the allocations. Uh, UPS guy used to joke about you know showing up four times a year with a case of wine. <laughs> um, I like to go to Ray's. I like the wine people at Ray's. I think they're really intelligent about the selection that they have, and they have a very good selection and from things that are beyond that price range I talked about mm-hmm. to many things that are in that sweet spot that are, are really quite good and good independent producers, which tend to be where you find some interesting discoveries. Um, Total Wine isn't bad. Uh, actually, Total Wine has a tremendous selection. Um, I like to have a, an ongoing relationship with the people that are the experts at the store so that, you know they get to know me and I get to know them and we can ask questions and they can actually give me better recommendations it's hard to have that consistency in a place as big as total wine but their staff knows what they're doing and their selection is amazing they have some of the great trophy wines from france you know chateau petrus and um, uh, cheval blanc some of the great just um high 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 end Uh, things so every once in a while i walk by the locked (laughs) case just to be in the yeah look a little bit and then i go over to the bins and find what i'm what i'm really interested in um I like the things at Sendix. Uh, I think they have really good California selection. Not so good on the international. Uh, not so many on the international, I shouldn't say that. Uh, more limited, but really good California selection. Uh, and I hear uh, that Discount Liquor has more than just communion wine. So <laughs> I think it's really the, the biggest thing is get a, have a relationship with the store, uh, with some people at the store, so that when you come in asking for something, you got a special occasion or a special meal and you want to get something that matches it. They can help because they'll also kind of know what your tastes are. Okay. Uh, again, for the casual listener, the uh, Unity Lutheran Church communion wine does get purchased through Discount Liquor. Yeah, of course. Not doing an ad for them, but just <laughs> hence the point of reference. Well, I'm thinking this would be a good point to uh, try a sample of something. Sure. So the, talk about. It. So the first thing we have it's um, El Modi Petit. It's a white wine from. Uh, uh, near the Catalan region in Spain. Um, it's the one I talked about earlier, $12.99 without the Mix 6 discount at Total uh, Total Wine. And it is a great, great wine. So I get interested in, in you guys and your thoughts as you taste it, but 
I think it's really well balanced. The, the nice even palate on it and a nice crisp acidity. For me, the acidity is a huge deal in wine because that's what makes it work with food, I, I think, more than anything else. And as we sample it, are, now is this a vintage or a blend or? It is a blend. It's mostly white Grenache. Okay. Um, it is a 2017 year of vintage, uh, so relatively fresh, but that's okay. Most white wines, most are um, grown, aged, and fermented, aged, and shipped within a couple of years. Okay. Uh, ready to drink right out of the bottle. Don't worry about anything other than getting a nice chill on it and drink it. So I'm curious to hear what you guys think about it. All right, here we go. We'll sample. Hey, we're we're about to actually drink this, Jay, but I, I'm I never know how to actually, you know, when you're really trying to sample something. What what's the physical yeah. process for that? So it's about trying to, you know, get acclimated to what's in the glass. There's <laughs> there's a lot of ceremony and some people can get a little over the top. Uh, it's good to look at it and see the color. My my glass is fogged up a bit, but I can't see. But this is kind of a really light straw color, which um this particular wine is known for, and then also you'd see that like with the Sauvignon Blanc, where you get a really nice, light, yeah, very pale yellow color. Um, you want to swirl it around to get the volatiles up in the, the odors, the aromas up into the glass, and then just put bury your nose in the glass, take a deep breath, and you should be able to then start to get some of the sense of the different components that are in there. And wine can taste like a lot of things that aren't actually in there. You can have those aromas, so you should get different kinds of fruits and grasses and things like that from this I one. I love the way it smells. Yeah. I do. I love the way it smells. And then usually when you take your first sip, try to get a little bit of air in there. You can maybe even breathe some air over the top. That'll, again, release some of those volatile compounds. And then just feel how it hits your, your tongue. So like you, John, with not being able to perhaps get all the aromas out of it, you can at least feel how the textures mm -hmm. wash across. I really like it. It's light. Yeah. And on a warm day like today... Yep. Light this and crisp, great... but still some body to it, yeah. and nice balance all the way. You get, uh, I love that tingle of the acid on my tongue. It's just lovely with food. And and the fact that you served it to us uh, chilled suggests to me that it's not necessarily a bad thing to chill wine. I'm sure it depends on the wine, but... Yeah, so generally you want your white wines to be cold, cooler than your red wines. Some people will serve red wines as much as room temperature. I think it's better to be around 55 degrees. Okay. 50 or lower on your white wines. I have a tendency, some maybe it's a bad habit, of serving my wines a little too cold. But if you sit them in your glass for a bit, then they'll come up to temperature mm -hmm. just fine. Mm -hmm. Also, if your, glass, if your wine is too cold, you can cup the base of the glass uh, in your hands and right. warm it up a little bit, and that will release more of the aromatic compounds, which is where the aromas all are. Mm -hmm. So you would pair this with? So this would be great with light seafood, scallops, anything with a, a bit of cheese or fat in it because it would cut through that mm -hmm. um chicken pork maybe um lots of vegetables and something like that yeah it would be great with oysters big plateful of oysters and oh yeah yeah this is delightful absolutely delightful so now carol last time we talked about wine you were also talking about chardonnay and not liking chardonnays yeah so, i not a big fan yeah so i have one I'd like you to try because because there's a so Chardonnay went through this evolution uh, in California, especially where it went to really oaky and very buttery, and, yeah. and, and which is fine, right? That's a style. I'm not criticizing that, but it got to be the way everybody did it and a little bit overpowering. So I've got a different one now. This is a California uh, Chardonnay by a company called Kistler. 
And it's very much in the style of Burgundy in France, where it's stainless steel uh, processing the vats that are used for fermentation, not much oak in the storage. So it tends to be really clean. And I think what what's interesting this so the one we just had had this nice balance and nice acidity to it. But think about mineral and slate when you try this one and see if you can pick that out, because that's really one of the characteristics of Burgundy whites as well. Okay, so what we have now is a, is a Kistler Chardonnay from the Russian River Valley, which is really, in, it's in Sonoma, which is my favorite place to go for wine. It's a 2009. Um, and what, what's great, what this shows too is how really nice Chardonnays can actually age really well. And in Burgundy, they can age quite a bit. Um, uh, uh, German uh, Rieslings can age for decades. But uh, mm -hmm. this is a, a, a good white, aging nicely, um, same thing, right? So a little more uh, darker yellow, deeper color on it. When you, it feels heavier. Yeah. You know the smell and yeah, it just feels heavy. Oh, that's not your grandma's Chardonnay. That that's got a really nice flavor to it, and it's yeah. not that. I think to your point, where Chardonnay kind of went sideways for me, if you will, was the heaviness yeah. that, you know, because when I, when I have a white wine, I want it to be light and I don't want it to be overpowering. And so many of the Chardonnays became that. Yeah. And yeah. I think that that was kind of the problem that I had, if you will, and why I, you know, sidetracked more to a, a Sauv Blanc or, or something there because it, it was lighter feeling. And I think I liked the taste better, but this is very good. Yeah, yeah, and this is a really long, uh, so they call it the finish, right, which is how long the mm -hmm. flavor persists in your tongue. This one has a really long finish, and it, you kind of, to me, it, it, I feel like a little bit of slate, like the aroma and the taste of slate in my mouth, which sounds weird, but actually it's a really nice way to kind of finish off the wine. It has a little different complexity to it, so very subtle, but, but in there. So again, with this, you would pair it with similar things that you would to the to the first one, or would this be a different pairing? Yeah, I think similar. Uh, maybe some things a little bit heavier. But I, you know, and, and there's actually more flexibility. Like the rules aren't, there's no rules. Well, some people might think there are. I, I don't have any. I, I just tend to put heavier wines with heavier foods, like steaks would be bigger reds, fishes would be rosés or, or lighter, uh, crisper whites. And I know from previous conversations, uh, I mean, Kistler is one of your... One of my that, favorites. That's like one of your favorites. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is uh, sort of a... Um, this, this is one of those indulgences for me. Um, not an inexpensive white by any stretch, but really good. Um, it, like I said, it ages well. It goes with just about anything, and it always impresses people. It's very much similar to French wines from like Merceau and Poulin de Montlachet that would cost for the same quality would cost twice as much. So even though this is not cheap, it's a good wine. It's, it's <laughs> a value, even though it's not cheap. Well, so why would one even, is there a reason to buy old world European wines? Oh, sure. There are, again, it's, for me, it's more part of that discovery, right? Okay. There, if you drive up and down um, Burgundy or even go to uh, Bordeaux, uh, through the different areas in Bordeaux, what's fascinating is how the, the, different styles change in very, very small um, parcels of land. So you may have a, a couple of acres that are a named domain in Burgundy. Wow. Classified, but and yeah. it's the ground that's classified in Burgundy. It's the producer that's classified in Bordeaux. 
and it would it will change you know drive um, a few hundred meters and the wines will change a little bit but noticeably and you can actually you know if you were a lifelong taster you could taste your way up and down and kind of pick out the different parcels in the, in the land I, I just think that's fascinating and you know there's something to the tradition of it too great wine really started in france and don't get me wrong there are great wines in italy there are great wines in spain great wines from greece but Truly great wine really was evolved in, in France. So there's nothing like going back to, to the roots and, and checking that out. Uh, tell, I mean, since you've been there and, and you've uh, been in California as well, but uh, just real briefly, tell us a little bit about what you've observed about the production of the grapes, um, uh, how they manage a... Uh, field, for lack yeah, of a better yeah. word, to create what they're trying to create. So that's another one of those encyclopedic bits of knowledge that I've, I've barely scratched. So you can, you can get into, um, so the different vines grow better in different regions. The overall temperature or, or climate of an area affects it. Um, the soil and the drainage of the soil, the minerals in the soil, how the soil is made up, is it fine or is it clumpy, gravelly soil? Um, the steepness of the hills and, the, and how that affects the, both the drainage and the sun profile, little microclimates. Um, so, in, for example, in the Mosul Valley in Germany, the steepness of the, of the, um, the, the hillsides that the vineyards are growing has a major influence. And it's both, like I said, both drainage and both the sun profile. Um, in California, when you get to the coast and then some of the, the pieces where, of land where the the, the land is lower and the fog comes in, that Humboldt fog comes oh, off of the yeah. Pacific. It cools the grapes a lot, <laughs> like significantly cooler in the evenings and the mornings. Um, and that temperature swing has a difference on the, the sugars that are built up in the grapes and the other, um, the other uh, trace elements that create the, the flavors. So you move inland into Napa where it's generally hot all the time. It's a much different flavor profile, hmm. just really, really different. And it's what thirty-minute drive from the coast into Napa. It's amazing how 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 right. in the state as big as California, how small of a difference that can, uh, how small you have to travel, short a distance you travel to get a big difference in flavor. Right, man, stuff like that is just fascinating. Uh, can for a novice such as myself, what would be one or two easy ways for me to ruin the wine I just bought. Yeah. <laughs> well, so um, oxygen is an enemy of wine. If it's open for a long time, it will turn into sort of vinegary reduction. Okay. It, it doesn't. It's. It just doesn't hold up after a while. It loses anything that's uh, interesting about it. Um, heat is bad for wine. Uh, storing above seventy degrees is not considered to be good, and also the high cycling of temperature is not considered to be great so I, mine are a little too warm where they are I'd, I'd like to they're in the mid 60s I'd like to get them lower uh, but I don't have a dedicated cooler for them so I try to find the best spot in the house and keep the temperature as even as I can which in your case is like the basement it's in the basement okay yeah, yeah. out of the way places of the basement um for uh let's see light is bad too and that's why if you notice um most wine bottles have some degree of coloring to them, and when you get to red wines, they're all very dark, and that's to keep light out from inside of the, uh, the bottle because it will change the chemicals inside that give you the interesting flavor notes. It'll, it'll significantly change the structure of the wine. Okay. So dark place, as yeah. cool as possible cool within as can. your standard house. Yep, yep. If possible, 50 to 55 would be. 50 to 55 is great. Um, you can go colder, actually. You could store them in the refrigerator if you want. I would just 
especially for reds, bring them up to temperature a bit before you uh, serve them. Oh, interesting. Okay. The the aromatic compounds are volatile, and they, so which means they need to evaporate into the air. Okay. And if they're too cold, they won't do that. Okay. So. Nice. Well, Carol and I both, uh, I, I, you know, again, can't really taste, but what you said about finish, I could tell in terms of how long mm -hmm. it kind of stayed on my tongue in comparison to the first one we tried. Uh, what's next? So the next thing we have is a, a Pinot Noir uh, Rosé, and it's from Germany. I, for some reason, was under the mistaken impression that this was from California, but it's actually from Germany. Um, it's um, Rosé, 20 years ago, when I first started drinking wine, was, wine was mostly um, white Zinfandel and very sweet. And it's changed quite a bit. At least what, what we have access to has changed quite a bit. It's now much more tart, acidic, crisp, Great for hot weather, just fabulous for hot weather. Um, and you probably noticed in your local grocery store or wine store, you know, come late spring, there's this explosion of rosé displays I, everywhere. I right? literally just noticed that yesterday. Yeah. It was like all they had out there. Yeah, it's a, it's been a huge thing. But it's it's great. I think that they're awesome wines for hot weather. Um, generally really well priced too. Most, most rosés are between 10 and maybe $25. I don't, I'm not aware of too many that go above that. So they're great for quaffing, you know, drinking uh, with a barbecue or drinking with a salad, whatever. They range, they're, they're good for a huge range in food. You can have a nice rosé with a steak and then you can also mm. have it with a really light fish. Um, it just works everywhere. Uh, great rosés come from almost anywhere in the world, but for me, the heart of rosé world is in hot climates, um, southeast part of France, Provence, um, headed down into Catalonia and into Spain. Uh, Tavel is a, in a region in that, a small Appalachian in that region that has some fabulous uh, rosés, but California, Oregon, South Africa, Australia have all gotten into the rosé game as well. It's interesting that you say the explosion because I was at a of wine pairing in February, and I was surprised that of the six wines that we tasted, three were rosé. And, you know, five years ago, that would have never been the case. Yeah. But you're right, there is this explosion, and, and I am seeing people gravitate towards that even more so than a white wine in the summer. And it must be because of the the taste and the the texture that almost that you get with the rosé versus yeah. a, a light white. Well, I think a lot of people want... More the body like a red, but the tartness and crispness and not a heavy wine, so something that's more like a white. And, of course, what's in between a white and a red is a rosé, and it's not just the color. Literally, the flavor profile is in between. Uh, the way they do that is the, the, so the, the reds and red wines come from the skins. You leave the skins in the wine as it's fermenting, and it brings the color out of the skins. So they do that for a little while in uh, rosés. The other thing is that rosés, I don't believe that they're ever, maybe rarely, there's not much oak storage in them. They're mm. usually going to be in stainless steel, so they don't get that oakiness to them, which you do in a red wine to give it you know, heavier flavors. Um, so they tend to stay really nice and clean and crisp. Okay. Well, thanks to you, uh, last night we were having Barb's birthday dinner, and we paired walleye with a rosé, and uh, everyone thought it was delicious. Oh, good. I'll bet. Good, good, good. good. You not only scored with Ann, Jay, but you're <laughs> earning up bonus points uh, with Barb. So let's sample it. I can't feel much of a difference on my tongue with this one. What was your reaction, Carol? There, there's um, 
I think tartness is exactly the right yeah. thing that I'm that I'm feeling when I drink this one. There's there's a tartness about it, but it's not so tart that you pucker necessarily. It just it's a different um, it's a different texture, if you will. It's a different feel, but it's it's actually delicious. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes you get a little bit of like a instead of melons and apples, you get more towards strawberries and and maybe. Not too much cherry, but maybe just a little bit. But those notes start to come in in rosés. I think this one maybe has a bit of strawberry, but I'm not really good at picking those things out. So, so maybe what we can do, since we're into the things that are getting a little little redder and darker, is let's go to red wines. So um, the the next one I have, and I'll have one more after this, but I have a um, a uh, 2014. Cabernet Sauvignon from Larkmead. And I, this is an interesting experiment, right? So we talked about how oxygen changes wines. So red wines have a lot of tannin in them. It comes from the grape, grape um, skins. And it's what gives you that uh, an astringency in your tongue. It feels like your tongue is being dried out a little bit uh, from the, that, uh, in the wine. So what I did with this one is I took half the bottle and put it in a decanter, which is just a container that has open to the air. And I sealed up the bottle. And I kept them both at the same temperatures. I'd slosh around the one the decanter every now and then, about two hours before we, we taste, so that it would get a little bit of that oxidation going and break down some of those tannins. So first, I try the, the red with the uh, right out of the bottle. And you should feel that astringency as you taste that. It's a really deep flavor. This is a Cabernet Sauvignon, so it's a big wine, lots of big flavor to it. Um, but also, and, and some some deeper, like, forest floor kind of notes to it, right? Kind of savoriness to it, which is good with mushrooms and redu uh, reduction sauces and slow cooker kind of stuff. Really, really good that way. And also with steaks. But you also feel that, or do you feel that astringency in there, that tannin that's kind of pulling the moisture out of your tongue? Yeah. Good. Any other? No, I can, yeah. I can definitely tell... It's it is pulling that moisture away, yeah, and yeah. and I've had problems with red in the past. I'm coming back to reds, yay, yeah. um, and have a friend that that swears by blends. She she likes a red blend versus a straight cab or a yeah. straight, you know, Pinot Noir, whatever that is. You know, it's it's more so she likes the blends. I, I do have to ask you though, Merlot seems to have fallen out of favor <laughs> somewhat. Yeah. Um, you know, it used to be you would you would go out, you know, especially for me, entertaining clients, you know, you'd have somebody who would order a Chardonnay and you'd have somebody who would order a Merlot. I mean, it was just yeah. kind of the way it was. Not so much anymore. What What's what's so the I, reason I, yeah, there? Yeah, two things, I think. Well, a couple of things. One is that first Cabernet took off like a rocket um, and Napa went crazy for Cabernet. and um, But then the movie Sideways came out. Um, and if you haven't seen it, it's a buddy picture, some guys who go... Uh, to Thomas Hayden Church and, um, oh gosh, Paul, uh, Paul Giamatti. And they, they go to Santa Barbara, and then Paul Giamatti plays this uh, uh, guy that's a bit of a wine snob. And he has a scene where he just rants and rants and rants about Merlot and pours a tub <laughs> of it over his head and all that. And it, it actually hurt Merlot sales for 15 years, and they're just barely coming back now. Merlot's great. It has a softer profile than Cabernet, and I think... Just like the buttery shards took over, the big, heavy, high-alcohol Cabernets took over for a while. Now, if you go to Bordeaux, you'll find everything is a blend in Bordeaux. Everything mm. there is, is blended. 
Um, the degree of blending is very carefully specified according to each chateau in each area that you're, that you're in. There are real strict rules about that. But they're all blends. And frequently they'll blend a Merlot with a Cabernet to put a little bit of that softer profile in against the stronger backbone of the Cabernet. And it makes for some remarkable blends. Um, in California, there's some great ones there uh, that, do, that do that as well. Um, Joseph Phelps has a really expensive one that's renowned. Um, Chapelet actually makes a nice one that's not very expensive. Um, so if you look for, um, there's a couple of ways that they'll describe a blend. Some people just say, you know, it's a blend. But if you look for meritage is another word for a blend. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of a cuvee sometimes, like a mountain cuvee is what uh, what Chapelet calls their blend. But there'll usually be some different name and there's no, no varietal featured on it. The nice thing about California wines is if it's mainly the varietal, it'll be it'll, it'll be right on the label. Oh, okay. So it's easy to tell. If it's Cabernet, it says Cabernet. And by, by law in California, it has to be at least 75% Cabernet Sauvignon. Most of them are higher. If it's a blend, it'll have some other name. That's usually a first clue that it's something different. But then read the uh, read the back label, and it'll tell you generally what the percentages of each of those are. Interesting. Thanks. So now the other glass is the same wine, decanted. And I'm interested to see if you can tell the difference in the flavor profile and the tannins with the decanted version of the Cabernet that we just poured. I'll just interject as we're sampling that, uh, wow, now I have the word astringency that I can <laughs> throw around a little bit. At, but I can throw it around because that's super noticeable to me. I mean, kind of that pulling the moisture off your, your tongue feeling. I, I think a lot of people have had that with wine. Uh, so now I know what word to use with that. Meritage as well. Thank you very much. Expanding our vocabulary here on the podcast. Uh I can feel a big difference with the decanted wine. I mean, it's it's really taken that a little of the astringency, if I'm using that correctly, yeah. out of it. I mean, it's super striking to me. I like this one better, actually, than right out of the bottle. Yeah. And and I think part of it is I'm 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 coming back to my love of reds now, um, but this doesn't feel as harsh. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people characterize the tannins as harsh. And that, that's a six-year-old wine. So oh. even right out of the bottle, you know, it still had a little bit of time. Sure. It? Now, we, I've got some that, I've got California Cabernets that go back to 2002. When you start to get back into 2004, we're starting to, to notice a difference right out of the bottle uh, as they age, the tannins break down too. The tannins have a value. They're one of the things that allow those wines to age so well. Um, but right out of the bottle, they can be too much. So I, I would recommend to anybody, first thing you do when you open up any big red, taste it first. If it has that, if it's harsh or taste that has that, it's not, as long as it's not bad, right, but it just has that strong uh, tannin, astringency to it, put it in a decanter, swirl it a bit, give it some air, and let it sit for a while. So when you, when you and Anne go out to a restaurant, um, do you, can you ask for a red wine to be decanted? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And, and better sommeliers will even suggest it. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Last time I think we did that, I think they said, would you like me to decant that? And so I said, or I asked, do you think it should be? <laughs> sure. And he said, yeah, it's probably a good idea. So, so we did that. Um, lighter, lighter ones, Gamay's and maybe lighter Pinot's, I wouldn't bother. But, okay. But yeah, I would um, ask. And if they suggest it, for sure, take them up on it. But that's a that's a good point that you bring up too, Carol. Um, 
I always, almost always, if it's a better restaurant and they have a sommelier or they have a wine director, I'll ask them what what would be good. You know, I, I love to sit down at like a Bacchus and read the 70-page wine list, but I get lost. And uh, at some point, I don't know what to choose. It's, you know, it's the paradox of too many choices. So I'll ask them what's good and I'll ask what we're going to eat and kind of what we like. And I'll if I mention a few things that I do like and regions that I like, that'll help them hone in a bit on hmm. uh, hone in on what I like and they'll make some good recommendations. Yeah. But yeah, I always learn something from the sommeliers. The, one of the formative experiences for me was Ann and I went to a, a dinner, an anniversary dinner or something that, together at a place in, in Albany, New York when we lived there. Uh, and that was my first introduction to good Pinot Noir. We were having a nice mm. dinner and I said, well, what's something really nice, you know, sort of approachable, medium body? And this guy recommended a Flowers Pinot. And to this day, that's one of, another one of the go-tos. Is I, I just love that Flowers Pinot. Let's, uh, let's switch gears just a little bit and talk about uh, a couple of health things. Uh, some people um, uh, react to, like, the sulfites in the wine. Is there any wine made without sulfites that you're aware of? Or there, is that there are, yeah, there are a lot of organic ones that aren't. Um, it's a funny thing. There's a lot of dispute about whether that's a real thing or not. Okay. I, my, my mom has a... Has that problem almost every time she drinks a red wine or or anything with sulfites in it? For me, the simple answer is, and I've had that reaction a couple of times. If that happens, I take an antihistamine. It's a it's a histamine reaction. It's almost like an allergy reaction that makes it go away. Okay. Uh, uh, but there are there's actually a really growing movement of um, organic wines, biodynamic wines. In France, they call them bio. So if you, if you get anything that's bio or biodynamic or organic, it's not going to have any uh, uh, of those additives. Okay. Yeah. okay. And how about uh, health benefits to red wines? What do you What do you know? You about know, that? it seems to be pretty consistent. I I don't know enough about it to comment from the you know the true health aspects of it, but I hear still consistent um, inputs that it's that there are chemicals in good red wines that in red wines that are good for you. Um, don't hear the same thing for white wines. Darn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but they taste good. They do. <laughs> Your life expectancy just fell. I Carol. know, yeah. I know. You're liking um, wines. So, but uh, yeah, there still seems to be that. I mean, like anything, it's, moderation is key though, right? And drinking yeah. more red wine isn't going to make you healthier. But they have, there is some evidence that I've heard that uh, small amounts in moderation are, are good. Okay. Well, we'll let our audience do a little research into that, but at yeah. least we, we're not discounting it out right. of hand. Uh, I can't remember. Do we have one more? I have one more sample? red. This is um, back, moving back from the, car, the Cabernet to something that's a little bit more mid-palate. It's a Shiraz from Australia, and let me uh, grab that. Okay. So, so this is called the Molly Duker. <laughs> or is, Molly uh, sorry, this Duker. is called it's called the Boxer. The vineyard uh, is Molly Duker, the, the winemaker. Um, the Australians have a lot of fun with their wine names. They have these crazy, uh, interesting names for most of their wines. Um, it's a Shiraz, which is the exact same thing as a Syrah in France. The same grape, everything, is, it's all the same. Um, this should feel more, I like to call it mid-palate. You kind of feel this in the middle of your tongue. Uh, it's a 2011, so it's got a little bit of age on it, but not too bad. I love the way it smells. I love the aromas. Carol Sicey's most overused word for the day, delicious. <laughs> this is... The, well, if it is, it is. Right, yeah. exactly. But this is, 
I, I, I think I, I told <laughs> Jay and John that when I find a wine I like, I take a picture of the label. I think Jay, I will be taking a picture <laughs> well, of this label. Yeah, sure. It's very great. kind of spark. Or I don't know. It's best I can do is sparkly with it. But anyhow, yeah, yeah. wonderful to drink. So Syrah is uh, really uh, predominant in the uh, Rhone Valley in France. So you find a lot of them there. If you, if you look for things that are in, in Rhone, you'll find a lot of Syrah as well as Grenache. There's a, a blend called GSM, Grenache Syrah Morvet, which is really, that's a Rhone blend. Um, in the internationalization of wine these days, you can find Rhone blends in California. There's a whole bunch of folks there. They actually call them the Rhone Rangers. They're sort of <laughs> disciples of uh, the, wow. the Rhone way. But Australia has picked up on uh, Shiraz. Uh, don't know why they renamed it. Um, but they, they've picked up on Syrah and Shiraz as a as a major export grape. And they've gone into it in a big way. And they do a great job with it. Oh, this so. is... There's a, a, it's a red wine with lightness. I don't yeah. know how mm -hmm. else to describe mm -hmm. it, yeah. but it's a, it's, I mean, as much as I liked the cab, I like this better. It comes back a little bit, right? It's not as big, not as strong, a um, little bit more mellow. Um, and I think it's, it mixes more with you know, like poultries and heavy fishes and things mm -hmm. like that. It does, it does a good job with those. So yeah, really nice. And you know, so when people are asking, what do you go, f how do you find good value wines? Syrahs are great, and if you go to the Rhone Valley and you do um, Côte de Rhone, which literally means sides of the oh, Rhone, right? Okay, yeah. Um, I've seen that and wondered yeah, what that meant. Or like Hermitage is one of the highest ranges in, in the whole Rhone Valley, but Croze Hermitage, C-R-O-Z-E-S hyphen mm -hmm. Hermitage, is another great one. Great prices on the wines, even with the expense of importing them here. Um, and again, anything that you can find in the States um, or imported from South Africa or uh, Australia with Syrah are, are really quite good. Um, we didn't do any Pinot Noir today. My favorite is Pinot Noir. Um, I particularly love the Russian River Valley and Sonoma Coast. A lot of people like Oregon, and it, you, wouldn't, you almost wouldn't believe that it's the same grape coming from Oregon versus that, those parts of California. Uh, Pinot is the one wine that I, th that I think most reflects the place that it was grown. It, for some reason, it, it's sort of transmutable, and whatever um, characteristics of the soil and the climate where it's grown, it really comes through in Pinot. Whereas Cabernet is so strong, it tends to kind of overwhelm those differences. So not exactly. You can still get some regional difference, but Pinot is like a chameleon. It's really interesting huh. that way. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, it's a nice one. This is very nice. Yeah. And there's a little bit of chocolate there if you want to, to go in. Oh, I, I may. <laughs> <laughs> well, Carol, it's been a delight to have you sample with us, Jay and Anne. You are such wonderful hosts to open your home and uh, share such a variety of wines with us and then kind of talk us through their significance and meaning. I, I've really enjoyed it. I hope those of you who are listening have really enjoyed it. And uh, we'll put, when we post this particular podcast, uh, we'll put uh, the names of some of the things that we've sampled up there so you can look at them. Oh, I forgot to ask you, any any online uh, print resources that you would think of as especially yeah, good? Yeah, for sure. Um, there, there's a lot of magazines. There's just a bunch of books out there. Um, I love this one wine site called winefolly.com. Winefolly, one word, dot com. Okay. 
um, really approachable. They, they take the most complex aspects of wine and they break it down in very simple ways with great graphics, um, awesome maps of different wine regions around the world. Uh, they do have a book that you can buy, uh, which I happen to have here. Um, but the website itself is awesome. And they'll, if you get on their mailing list, they'll send you things like having pizza tonight. What wine goes with that? Or here are some, some wine pairings for tacos and just really interesting stuff. Uh, just cool. Fun. Practical. Yeah. And, really and again, fun. very approachable, um, very clear, not, uh, not a lot of, of um, presumptuousness to it. Just really nice. Cool winefolly.com we'll put that on the, yeah. the post for it as well so as we're wrapping up I, you know uh i'm a pastor i gotta ask you jesus's first miracle turns water into wine what type of wine did he turn it into Jay? <laughs> uh, i don't know <laughs> um probably something simple and red probably probably a, a sweet communion line like probably that. so yeah <laughs> it, it still is my favorite miracle that he did yeah. <laughs> what's funny at church is that if we change it to anything other than a sweet wine oh. people rebel they they associate that with with communion and and that's just fine it's good to have something that is, is. connected yeah. it is a point. miracle of fermentation it's yep. crazy what, it, what it's been able to do so. Well, thank you all. Uh, thanks for listening in on Belief Beat. I hope you enjoyed kind of just a time away around the around the Fourth of July holiday, uh, relaxing and having a little fun with the topic of wine with Jan Ann Hill, Carol Sicey. Thanks very much for listening. Bye for now.